Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 260. Today we are discussing Trang Thon Tran's She is a Haunting, which is our October 2023 book club. Before we get started today, we just wanted to remind you that we are still doing Patreon every month. And so if you are looking for extra unabridged content and you'd like to support us for as little as $5 a month, you can get a bonus episode every month as well as some other things that come and go depending on depending on what else we add. So um, check it out over at patreon.com unabridged pod. Or you can go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, and then there's a link to Patreon. So either way, and we appreciate your support so much. Before we get into the book club today, we wanted to share our bookish check-in. Jen, what is something you're reading? So I have just started Rebecca Ross's Divine Arrivals. I'm doing this one as a buddy read. It is available on Kindle Unlimited, which I think for those of us who have that, it's always good to know. And this is... So there's this new merging of genres that has been coined as romanticy, and this is romanticy. I kind of hate it, but I also feel like it means that you know exactly what genre it falls into. So this, like Fourth Wing and a lot of other really popular books that are out right now, is romanticy, which is a blending of romance and fantasy. And it's a sort of enemies to lovers trope in the romance realm. The fantasy realm, I think, is really intriguing. So the premise here is that... This is a world, it's sort of like early 1900s, though that is not firmly established, but it feels like early 1900s, and the gods have been sleeping for hundreds of years. They awaken and they start a war with each other. These are not gods that we know, but the ones who are feuding are sort of similar to Hades and Persephone. And the main female character, Winnow, Iris Winnow, is missing her brother. He was called to war by the female goddess who sang to him. And so he has to go. And after that, her mom sort of falls apart. So she has to drop out of school and go to work as a reporter. She's vying to be a columnist. And at the newspaper, her main competition is a guy named Roman Kitt. And this is the enemies to lovers part. And they are vying for this position as a columnist. They kind of hate each other. But of course, you know, there's an attraction as often happens in enemies to lovers. And the the really intriguing thing about this one is that Iris has at her house a typewriter that she inherited from her grandmother. And she is typing letters to her brother on this typewriter. And she has found that even though she doesn't have his address... One fell to the floor once and it disappeared and she got a response. And she has found that if she can type letters, she can put them in the ward or under this wardrobe and they disappear going, she assumes, to her brother. And then she realizes, oh, it's not her brother. It's some stranger. 
you can probably guess who they're going to. Anyway, so <laughs> she's writing all these letters. She's trying to be a columnist. She's trying to keep her mom together in the midst of this war. She doesn't know where her brother is. And that's sort of the setup for it. So I'm still pretty early in the book, but it is compelling writing. It moves along. I like the way that Ross is building this backstory of the gods and one of the things Iris is investigating is the actual story of the gods because nobody really knows what happened. Everything is sort of told where Iris lives from Dacre, the male god's point of view. And she finds out that there's this backstory that is actually from the female god's point of view. So that that's interesting. Yeah, so it's putting a lot of really neat pieces into place. So I'm anxious to see where that goes. I will say it's the first in a series. So I have a little bit of a sense of dread that it's going to end on a cliffhanger. And I probably have a long wait ahead of me until book two comes out. But I've been in that position before. So we will see what happens. Anyway, it's fun. <laughs> that does sound fun. This is, And I had no idea about that genre <laughs> melding and new term so there you go yeah well, it really does seem like there are a it. lot of fantasy uh-huh. books that of course that applies to in fact i was thinking how many have i read that would not be romanticy not very many myself so uh-huh. same and i do think i've mainly heard it since fourth wing became the sensation that it became so i think yeah i don't know if it was coined in response to that or if that is just making it much more you know much more prominent in publishing but uh-huh. anyway <laughs> We don't ever have to say it again if we don't want to. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Yeah, That sounds great. All right. Ashley, what are you reading? So I'm listening to this one, thanks to Libro FM, and this is Taylor Jenkins Reads, Carrie Soto is Back. I had been wanting to read that one since it appeared, you know, since it first was published. And we, it's well known on the podcast that we are both TJR fans and read all of her stuff. I have varying degrees of how much I've loved the different books I've read of hers, but I'm never disappointed. I'm always compelled by the characters and what happens. And I'm always interested in how I think that she does a really good job. This one is set in the 80s. And, you know, she does a really good job of setting things historically. And so I like that also. I think that Reed as an author really builds the historical period well within her stories. And so I really like that. So this focuses on tennis. And Carrie Soto is a world champion, essentially, in tennis. So it starts when she is a kid and she's just learning to play. Her dad, Javier, had been a professional tennis player growing up, and or, you know, he had his own career as a professional tennis player. And then as she becomes interested, he starts coaching her. It becomes, you know, by the time she's a teenager, she's traveling those circuits, and she's competing, and she is winning lots of titles. And so her entire life is tennis. And then she, I I can't remember her exact age, but you get to the point pretty early on that she ends her career. And so she's had all these successes, but then she gets, she gets frustrated. She, this is another thing I think Reed does well. She is a hard character to like, and it's because she is so driven and she's so ambitious, and she's so singularly focused that 
she that is all that is her whole world is to be the world champion. She wants it to be defined in a very specific way. And she gets really caught up in that. And so eventually she ends her career. Well, then, as the title suggests, the story is a lot about her deciding after several years off the court at the age of 37 to come back. And so a lot of the story is about her comeback and whether she's right to do it, whether her body can take it, you know, navigating all of that. And so I'm really enjoying it. I have been very interested in seeing what happens. It's always hard with authors you love to not compare to other books. And so comparatively for me so far, this is not my very favorite of TJR's books that I've read, but I do love Carrie. I especially love her relationship with Javier, her father. And seeing him, he is her coach. And then there's a time pretty early on that they get into it and things are not lining up quite right. And so you're kind of seeing her maturation, him trying to figure out how to support her both as his child, but also as a coach and as a professional. And then you're also seeing how what happens when somebody like Carrie is in their 30s and this has been their entire life and they've never, ever, ever done anything else you know, what does that mean when you don't have the other parts of your life to kind of rely on? And then, you know, your career is everything. So I, I think it's really fascinating. And tennis is not something I know a ton about. So it's been interesting to to see how some of that, na- you know, how the different, I didn't know a lot about how the different circuits fit together to then come up with these rankings and things like that. And so there's a lot of that as well. So again, that's Taylor Jenkins Reads. Carrie Soto is back, and I am enjoying it so far. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I like the way Reed sort of builds in little Easter egg connections to some of her other books. So I thought that was fun with this one. And I like yeah, that <laughs> I like tennis is one of the few sports that I like watching, and so I enjoyed that part of it. I do know back when this was published, there was some controversy about Reed writing from the perspective of a Latina protagonist. Yeah, I wondered about that. So I was going to research and see because yeah, there is a lot of there's a lot of inclusion of Spanish as an integral part of the relationship between Carrie and Javier. And just the blending of languages and how again, I mean, all of it reads in an authentic way. But I did think that perhaps she is not speaking from her own perspective. And so yes, I wondered about that, but I had not researched it. But I was thinking this has got to be problematic because it's hard to speak from a perspective that is not your own. Right. In that kind of way. So. Yeah. And I'm not sure if Reed herself ever addressed it. I researched more to see if other people were talking about it. And they were. But yeah, I would be, I I should look and see if Reed addressed it herself. Anyway, but as always, I think, you know, the plot's compelling, the writing is strong, complex characters. I appreciate so. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and that's what I mean. For me, Evelyn Hugo is probably is probably my gold standard and the one that I always compare to. And I think I see some similar traits here of extremely ambitious, very driven, very narrowly focused on whatever it takes to succeed. And I think we just don't see women characters very often that are doing that. And I really appreciate it. And again, even, you know, I think that the 
discomfort or even dislike that sometimes the reader experiences is all part of seeing a woman character who is determined to be the very best at whatever thing it is and you know what that looks like yeah yeah I agree the complexity of her characters is always admirable even if there are questions you know about who is writing which stories so yeah yes right yeah but I'm glad you mentioned that Jen because I do think that that's relevant with this particular text and that considering that as as we read it well, today we are going to, so for October, we do not always choose something in the spooky or horror arena, but we often do because we know that a lot of us enjoy mood reading in seasonal reading. And so, you know, we, we often do that. So, so last year we read and both of us absolutely loved Tiffany D. Jackson's The Weight of Blood. If you are looking for seasonal reads and have not read that one yet, Highly, highly, highly recommend. I, we both, it was a great discussion. We thought it was a phenomenal book. And it is one I don't read in this genre very often. So I don't know if I would have read it because I don't gravitate toward the genre. But oh my gosh, you will not be disappointed. Today we're discussing Trang Thon Tran's She's a Haunting. This is a debut. Before we dive into our discussion, I am going to share the synopsis from the publisher. When Jade Wen arrives in Vietnam for a visit with her estranged father, she has one goal. Survive five weeks pretending to be a happy family in the French colonial house Ba is restoring. She's always lied to fit in, so if she's straight enough, Vietnamese enough, American enough, she can get out with the college money he promised. But the house has other plans. Night after night, Jade wakes up paralyzed. The walls exude a thrumming sound while bugs leave their legs and feelers in places they don't belong. She finds curious traces of her ancestors in the gardens they once tended. And at night, Jade can't ignore the ghost of the beautiful bride who leaves cryptic warnings. Don't eat. Neither Ba nor her sweet sister Lily believe that there's anything strange happening. With help from a delinquent girl, Jade will prove this house, the home they've always wanted, will not rest until it destroys them. Maybe this time she can keep her family together. As she roots out the house's rot, she must also face the truth of who she is and who she must become to save them all. Jen, what was your overall impression? I would say I have some mixed feelings about this one. I loved the ideas that Tran is confronting here. So there's a discussion of colonialism. There is a discussion of Jade's feelings of not belonging when she goes to Vietnam since she has been raised in America and her dad is dealing with some of the same feelings. There is a great discussion of, so Jade is bisexual, but she has not revealed that truth to anyone. She is closeted because when she was young, she had an experience with her father that made her feel as if she did not have that option. There are so many really fascinating threads to examine in this book. And I was using book darts on this one. And when I was looking back through to prepare for our discussion, there were a million quotations that I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, this is another really interesting point. This is an interesting point. So I loved all of that. I didn't feel like everything held together as much as I wanted. The, The haunting itself and the horror part itself was not those were not the most successful parts of the book for me. So there's much to appreciate. There's much to dig into. There's much to discuss. I think it's going to be great for us here in this episode. I I would look forward to seeing what Tran writes next, because I think there's a lot of potential here, even though this one didn't completely work for me. How about you? Yeah, I have felt a lot of 
I don't want to just repeat what you said, but I do feel like it is that that is exactly how I felt that there's so many complex issues that I thought were really well explored in very interesting ways. But there were just some practical things in the main plot line as far as the haunting of the house that did not work for me. And so absolutely, I enjoyed reading it. I was interested in where it was going to go. I definitely thought it left me with some things to consider that are really worth digging into and are really important as far as colonialism, as far as who tells stories and why, as far as how we can try to honor the true history that has been both literally and metaphorically buried over time. What does that look like? I thought all of that was just really interesting to consider. Also, that sense of belonging, the feeling that, you know, like like Jen said, not only did Jade feel out of place, but she realizes that her father feels out of place. And it's because he was sent by his family to America. He was the one who was sent because of that. His siblings want nothing to do with him. There's all this resentment. And he's like, I didn't ask to go. I didn't, you know, I didn't make that choice. That choice was made for me. And yet, because of that, he also carries this burden. And a lot of that, a lot of the choices he makes in the book have to do with the baggage that he carries, a lot of which is about cultural belonging and what that looks like and and guilt and shame and how all those things can fit together to impact a person. So I thought all of that was really interesting. I also thought all the exploration of sexuality and how do we define ourselves? Do we have to define ourselves why, you know, how do we explain, do we have to explain what are, what are the costs of not explaining to people that you love? So I thought all of that was really interesting as well. So there was a lot there. And then also like the financial side of things. I mean, there also was a lot of exploration of like how, how high the stakes are for people when you're looking at things like college, which are prohibitively expensive for so many people. And what how far will you go to try to work that out in a way that will keep you from being in debt for potentially the rest of your life so you know i felt like all of that was so interesting and all of that worked well for me but the logistics of the haunting itself i had a hard time not picking apart <laughs> so then i just had to be like okay that's okay that, you know, I don't have to like dig into every detail of that part of it because I think there were so many things that were just absolutely fascinating going on in yes, the book. Yes, agree completely. Yeah, I really like that you hit on that financial element because I thought that was something, we'll do favorite quotes later, but I did think there was a quote, just because you feel lucky to be alive and fed doesn't mean you can't be angry. And I think we see Jade struggling throughout the book with her gratitude, because she does know what her parents, particularly her mother, have been through in order just to keep her their small household going. And yet, Jade wants more. And she wants her mother not to have to suffer. But she's still suffering about... Jade herself is still suffering in a lot of ways and has a lot of anger, even though she is so appreciative of the sacrifices her mom has made and of the... You know, the fact that her mother made her way to America to find a better life for herself and her family. And yeah, I, I think that was really fascinating and something you don't often see discussed in books, in YA books. So I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think just the logistics of she kept thinking about 
her mom and how many more hours she would have to work in order to make the tiniest dent in the amount that they would need. I mean, so I felt like all of that, just really digging into if you're paid in that situation, I mean, how hard it is to get out of that if you are at an income level, like her mom, who is like busting her rear end every single day to get by. And the only thing she can do is continue to increase hours. And there's only too many hours in the day. And so how, you know, what does that look like? And and then that Jade, again, I did think that that helped with the plausibility of some of the other things that like, how far will she go to try to prevent her mom, who she adores, from being in an even worse situation? Yeah. You know, I thought, yeah, I believe that she loves her, that she admires her, that she does not want her to suffer and that she wants to try to help, but, but also wants more for herself. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jen, what was something specific that worked for you? I think that my favorite part of the book was that discussion of colonialism. And I think it really felt like it was in conversation with Michael Bennett's Better the Blood, which we read last season. But yeah, I kept thinking of moments in that book that paralleled this one. But I just thought, you know, from the beginning, it's not a shock to Jade that that has been a part of Vietnam's heritage. And the fact when Florence her friend and well, soon to be friend and love interest talks about her, the names for the rooms. And she's picked all these French names and you know that the house was built and occupied by people who had colonized the region when they are meeting with Alma and Thomas and you find out about Alma's PhD and Thomas has, I have another quote here, the weather's fantastic up here. It's no wonder why the French made this their resort home. It's a dream like Europe. And you just have these <laughs> moments where Jade is just rolling her eyes at the ignorance of these people. She's also enraged by it. I, I thought that was really great. And then as through the haunting, she is exploring her own family's heritage and she's finding these pictures of horrific murders with you know, soldiers and men standing triumphant over these bodies. And that is one of the things that she's really interested in confronting as she's building this website for the house. I just thought all of that was really successful. I thought it asked great questions about why that continues to be celebrated and why that is something glamorous that people might be drawn to and how standing on that ground is just continuing to perpetuate this view of a country that has its own rich history outside of what the colonizers brought to it. I, that was, I, I, again, I think that was probably my favorite thread running through the novel, my favorite part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that that stood out the most also. And I'm glad you said that about Better the Blood because absolutely, I thought that, I mean, this is, that's a great pairing. That's another one that Jen and I both thought was phenomenal. If you have not read that one, then Michael Bennett's Better the Blood, which we talked about in June. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is another great, great, great read that would be a good mood read if you're looking for seasonal reads. But for sure about it's just exploration of the impact of history, the impact of colonization. And I thought especially the pictures. I mean, there's some very specific parallels there to looking at atrocities that have happened and what to do about those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was one thing that really worked for you, Ashley? Yeah, I agree with you, Jen, that I think if I were to look at the whole book, I would say that the exploration of colonialism within Vietnam is the thing that I think is 
most notable, stood out to me the most. But the other area that I thought was really, really well done, I touched on a little bit earlier, which is about identity. Mm-hmm. And I think that Tran explores Jade's identity in a really meaningful way that is complicated and does not suggest easy answers. And that's true for her bisexuality. It's also true for her as a Vietnamese American. So I think we just really see her struggling with that. I think that we see her anger in so many ways. And part of her anger is in response to this feeling that she can't just be and that she wants to just be who she is. And yet in every direction she turns, she can't just be herself and be at peace with that. And I think that that is just really well done because it, it is complicated. I mean, those there are not simple answers. There's not simple answers for teenagers who are trying to figure things out for themselves, but also trying to figure out how to navigate relationships with everyone that they love and worried about what the stakes are going to be for that. And so I just, I, I really liked that. I thought all of that was really interesting, thoughtful, and again, did not suggest that there were simple answers there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked at one point, there's a quote about um, labels serving as armor. And I thought that was interesting the way Jade used, she's both fighting against the labels, but also using them as a way to hide who she really is because she's afraid of revealing that truth and afraid of how her family and friends will react. And she does, you know, even her relationship with Hallie, which I wish we'd seen a little bit more of, but her best friend from home was ruined because she is trying to make a label fit that does not fit. And yeah, I just thought that was really another really strong facet of the book. I agree completely. Yeah, it's great. Well, we wanted to share quotes that worked for us, and then we'll get into our pairings. Jen, what is a quote that you wanted to highlight? I've cheated a little already in in some. (laughs) I'm glad you pointed those out. I think that, again, that was a nice thing in the book, was just that there were a lot of quotable moments that highlighted these core issues. I think I want to explore one other element we haven't talked about, and this is happening early in the book when Jade is talking with Florence about all of these ghost stories and urban myths from the area. And Florence is detailing all of these stories that she's heard. And they're all about girls. And so Jade says, leaning against stone, I ask, are they always girls? Always in movies, shows, and based on true events, stories, the ghost is a girl or woman whose virginity or lack thereof is a moral lesson and whose mental state has grown fragile. Sometimes the fight is not only for her own life, but also for her born or unborn children. She torments the next female in line. Seems like it, huh? Florence says, even dead, we're the scariest thing. And I thought that was so smart because, of course, number one, that is true. And then I think you see through these two different women, Marion and Cam, who are at the the center of the haunting, the way women are another victim of history who then turns their rage and violence against others. Jade shows that that doesn't have to be true, but it takes her a while to work through that. So I, I enjoyed that as well. Just that an additional exploration of history and the way those roots bear fruit that then damages the present until you work through it. So I really love that. 
Yeah, I thought that that stood out. Also, in that whole scene where Jade is possessed and winds up running in the road and then causing the accident. Yes. Just perpetuates exactly what you were saying, Jen. This, you know, she's like, oh, now I'm an ur- urban legend, you know. And, I mean, that would be a pretty legendary yes. <laughs> situation to happen. So there's also, like, sometimes that layering. I was like, okay, but, like, you were possessed by a ghost and also you ran out in the road. And, you know, like, this thing happened. You have no memory of it. Like, that. Is, that is, like, a legendary situation. But also there it goes back to exactly what you were saying, Jen, that, you know, again, it's, like, continuing that cycle of women being at the women and girls being at the center of something they have no control over and then having this these ramifications that are really substantial well and even in that event alma is mad at jade because she's not wearing enough clothes which distracted thomas and so she you know and again she's standing in the road so that would be distracting but that's not what alma's mad at her for it's because she had sensed an attraction before that Thomas was attracted to Jade. And therefore she says, so Alma's turning her rage on Jade instead of on Thomas. So yeah, I think yeah, that's you a see great those point. patterns repeat, which yep. yeah. what's a quote that stood out to you. This is when she finds the photographs that were hidden inside the chimney and the house kind of wanted her to see those photographs is how it seems, you know, so Marion is, haunting them but she is very much a colonial presence and all the things that jen said i mean i think there is a layering here it is complicated because she also had not as much authority and part of her way of getting authority was to exert herself as a french woman over cam who is vietnamese you know and then cam i mean again that that layering was really well done i mean cam's family marries her off to the french man so that they can be in a better position. But then they never speak to her again because she has married into this horrible colonized situation. All that is really complicated. So I thought that that was like really well explored because it's exactly that of just like, what are the dynamics and what does it look like? Anyway, the quote here is, I've been going about it wrong. I don't need to know what Marion wants. Racists don't need reasons to be racist. She lived to be seen. There are so many others waiting to be heard, overlooked, and forgotten and written in the margins. My family won't be free if I play by the rules set by others, allowing the pattern to repeat, relentless and hungry. And I just think that that reflects a lot of what, Jen, you already said about how so much of this, the center of the story is about colonialism and how atrocious it is, how it impacts people, how it continues for generations. And so I just feel like I love that quote because I think it just shows how even in her attempts to bring about change, she's still focused on Marion, who is representing the colonizer. And then it's this shift in her mind to be like, oh, I've got to tell the stories of my family. I've got to tell the stories of the people who were here, who have been here from the beginning. That's the stories that need to be told. And she goes on to make points about the, f- the photographs and kind of says, you know, we don't need more photographs of, the, of colonization. We need these photographs in the museum, the ones yeah. that show the, the un- ugly underbelly of what was really happening that over time has been glossed over in history in order to make the actions palatable. And I just think all of that was really well explored. 
Well, and how heartbreaking when she has planned this big moment at the opening for the house or the big event for the house. She has this whole story about the truth and and has those photographs. And people are shocked at first, and then they are so eager to just ignore it again. And so the impact, you know, I her dad is frustrated, of course, because he does not think he's going to make his money back. But also, it's just so easy to sweep under the rug again. It's so easy for people to ignore that truth, even when it's right in front of their faces. I That was so... Because, yeah, she had such high hopes that that would make a real difference. But people didn't want the true story. They wanted the glamour and the French names and this pretty surface, even though everything underneath was rotting. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's take a look at our pairings. Jen, what did you choose? I, I, there were a lot of books that came to mind. I was glad that you mentioned Better the Blood, but what what did you choose for your pairing? I was really torn here. I, I want to mention Mexican Gothic because I think that would be a strong pairing. That is written for adults, but it has a lot of similar examination of colonialism and also just the body horror part of it. I thought it was very similar. So if that was, if you were okay with that and this, I think it's stronger in Mexican Gothic. But I, I think it worked really well in Mexican Gothic to support some of the themes that Moreno, that one's by Sylvia Moreno Garcia, is exploring. But my official pairing is Ryan LaSalle's The Honeys. This is one we chose for a buddy read last season. And again, if you haven't been following us for long, if you don't know, we do buddy reads every month. We always choose a YA novel. And Ryan LaSalle's The Honeys, I thought is a similar horror novel in that it is using horror as a way to explore deeper social issues. So The Honeys is about twins, Mars and Caroline, who have been going to this camp for a very long time until Mars has an event that means he is no longer going to attend. So Mars is gender fluid And the camp is very strongly, it's divided in a binary way between girls and boys. And Mars does not fit in and becomes the subject of bullying. And so no longer returns. But Mars's twin, Caroline, returns. Weird things start, this is all at the beginning of the book. Weird things start happening. Caroline comes home and basically through this horrible event is killed. And Mars is grieving, of course, and wants to know what is at the center of what happened with Caroline. And so he determines that he is going to return to this camp and find out the truth. And what he finds, I don't want to give any spoilers, but what he finds is really centered at decades of wealth, generations of wealth and power and this dependence on the power of girls in particular, which Mars complicates in really interesting ways. So yeah, I absolutely loved the honeys. I thought it was brilliant. It is strange in the best way. Like I found it to be disorienting in the best way because it was making me question things. I will say in the buddy read, everyone did not love it quite as much as I did. I loved (laughs) it unreservedly. We had a great conversation about what worked and what didn't for people. But yeah, I just thought it was beautifully written and also really, really thought-provoking. So that is Ryan LaSalle's The Honeys. Yeah, yeah, I did feel like that one was pretty polarizing in the 
Buddy Reed, but I agree with your assessment there. I did not love it quite as much as you did, Jen, but I do think that for sure that exploration of identity and how it all fits together was just absolutely fascinating. And then there are some other things that are both strange and really yes. thought-provoking that, yes. that go on in that book. Mm-hmm. And again, the body horror, there's body horror. Oh, yes. And, yeah. and I would say intensified over this yes. one, for sure. I agree. So again, <laughs> if you found this one tough to take, if you're a sensitive reader, it may not be for you because there are some truly horrifying moments, but I found it to be really fascinating. So Some of those are coming to my mind right now. Uh-huh. Thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, they're so vivid. Like I can they're picture those scenes. They, they get stuck in your brain a little bit, for better or worse. So Ashley, how about you? What is your pairing that you'd recommend? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm kind of torn, but I think I'm going to go with this one. This is one I read a long time ago and multiple times. I really, really loved. And I think, like I said, there are a lot that you could pair, but I'm, I'm going to go with this. This is Clive Barker's The Thief of Always. And this one is for young readers. Like, I, I think it's probably, yeah, it, I think it could even be middle grade. It is about Mr. Hood's Holiday House and... The main character is Harvey Swick, and he is bored, and he is constantly like, what am I going to do? I'm bored all the time. So he's kind of wishing time away because he feels like there's nothing to do, and so he wants to have interesting things to do. And then he discovers the holiday house, and all these kids can go to the house, and they play, and it's super, super, super fun, and they have, like, treats and different seasons all the time, and, I mean, everything they could want to do. It's like it's like a paradise for kids. So once he discovers it, he's completely like, oh, this is the thing I'm going to do, and awesome, now I have all these really fun things to do. But the part that I thought really made it a great pairing is that there is certainly an idea that houses have that houses are not as non-living as we think of them and that houses have their own agenda and that that agenda can be really powerful and so you know mr hood and his house are as you might imagine not as perfect as they seem and so i think i mean i just remember that really resonating for me. And again, normally I recommend things I've read more recently, but I kept coming back to this one because I feel like there is a similar connection to the way that the world is maybe different than we perceive it to be. And that those differences go unnoticed by a lot of people, but that doesn't mean they're not there. So I feel like just like this one, you know, constantly Jade is like, ghosts are not real. I mean, a lot of, we didn't even touch on that, but you know, she is definitely a skeptic and she's a skeptic who is facing the fact that reality is different than she believed it to be. And there's not a whole lot she can do, she can do about, you know, that it is what it is, but there's definitely like a questioning of the narrator, a questioning, I mean, with Jade, like, I think there's a lot of like, is she really seeing what we, you know, what, what is real here? Like there's some unreliability in the story. And so I just felt like there were a lot of similarities in that way. So and I, I like I said, I read it more than once because I really loved it. So I just wanted to recommend that one as another great spooky read that has some really thought provoking things about how we use our time and how what we value. And, you know, I thought that that is interesting. So that's Clive Barker's The Thief of Always. Oh, that sounds great. I've only read a couple of Barker's books, and I really like them. I don't know why I haven't read more. I think I read only adult books, though. I don't think I dived into his younger 
I know. Well, this is the only one I remember reading. I've only read a few of his also. And this is the only one I remember reading that would be considered middle grade or young adult. And I don't know that he has very many. I'm not sure. I would have to look and see. Yeah. But same. The the other ones I read were adult. But but this one definitely is at least some interesting things for the reader. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Well, we wanted to give our bookish hearts. Jen, how many bookish hearts? I think I'm going to do four for this one. There, there are a lot of strengths, but because of those few things that held me back, I don't think I can go with five. How about you? Yep, same, four. And I mean, again, the parts, I mean, it was fascinating to discuss it with you. There's tons to dig into. Yeah. So, and I do think that these kinds of stories that have to do with the hauntings and stuff, the plot, sometimes I think that's hard to work through as an author because you want to keep them in the space. Right. Because that is where the story is taking place. But then it's hard because as the reader, I'm kind of like, okay, now's probably a good time to abandon the cause. Like, yes. And I feel like I hit that point a lot of times. Yes. It's like, <laughs> time to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we wanted to end our episode with our flashback. This time we're looking at five years ago this month, which was October 2018. Jen, what's your flashback for that? I'm going to focus on the personal here. So October, I feel like all the fall things, all the Halloween things. So I went back to my Google photos and found my kids were in full on Marvel mode with their costumes. I had lots of pictures of them reading for some reason, which was fun. So they were reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Bad Guys, both series. And then Rick Riordan's Magnus Chase, one of those books. I can't remember which one. We had gone to Bush Gardens for their fall. They, they, redo everything for Halloween. So we went there and then there's a local place called back home on the farm. And we went there and did the corn maze and got, you know, pumpkins to carve and they have all kinds of events. They, it is adjacent to a working farm. So it's a really fun place to visit. So yeah, all the fall Halloween vibes for sure. (laughs) What about you? What did you want to look back on? Well, I took a look at the podcast to see what we were up to back then. And we were already doing spooky reads, so I am impressed that is one of our longest going traditions to talk about those from year to year. And so we did spooky reads that year, and we have not done every single year, I will say, but in general, you know, we normally touch on those, and so that was kind of fun to see. And then also, we did The Hate You Give, the movie, at that time, and oh my goodness, that you know, discussing the book and then watching and discussing the movie, I mean, I still remember those discussions and just how powerful that text is and Mm -hmm. how much there is to dig into because of it. And then the movie is phenomenal and there's just so much to discuss. So yeah, those were a couple of things we had going on then. Oh, that's great. Well, we thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of Trang Thon Trans. She is a haunting. We would love to hear your thoughts and thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.